What's up, simple peeps? How are y'all doing? That's good. Okay, so um, we just got back from camp, and uh, pretty sure all of you were here Sunday, um, but if you weren't, one or two of you were out. Uh, we sang this new song uh, that was introduced to us at camp. It was called New Wine, and uh, I will admit that every single time that this song came on at camp, it brought me to tears because it was just, the, the words are so beautiful to it. And I'm over there, and pretty much every night, um, I'm struggling to find words to say, right? I'm just like, I've got messages for the whole week in my mind. Um, I was trying to challenge myself and be able to speak more than just, you know, once or twice. I wanted to challenge myself, uh, challenge my faith in the Lord, and and I'm just struggling every night to find the words to say, but uh, every time I heard this song, I had to stop thinking about the message for just a moment and just listen to these words. Uh, the very first words in the song is, in the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. And the whole point of the song is this, is that wineskins, you know, you put this wine in new wineskins, which was animal skins back in that time. And in, inside these wineskins, the, the grape juice or whatever kind of fruit they crushed up and pressed and, and all that that was in there, this juice was in this wineskin. And as it fermented, it released gases and it, all these different bacteria began to produce and and these wineskins be, begin to stretch, and they stretch to their full elasticity. So by the time that the process ends, the skins no longer has elasticity to it. It doesn't stretch like our skin does anymore. And so you have to throw those skins away. And Jesus makes a point is that you can't put new wine into old wineskins because it's already lost all of its stretchiness. It's already lost what it's uh, supposed to be in the first place. So when you put new wine in old wineskins, it's going to stretch it beyond its capabilities and it's going to burst. And the same with our life. We can't put our new lifestyle into our old skin. When we have a new lifestyle, we have to put it into new skins and in that process, our new skins are going to be stretched. And our new life has to be crushed and pressed, and we have to be made new. And so that's the whole point of the song, is that in the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. And the whole purpose of this series, I begin to think about hard times, like crushing and the pressing and the the pressure that comes from hard times, bad times, temptations, and just trials and in general. I began to think about those like, what is the purpose of those things? And I began to think about how we look at those things. And I believe that a lot of times in life, most people, they look at hard times 
as if it is a 100% bad thing. They look at it right when it happens, right when the bad time happens, they look at it and they say, I wish this was not so negative outlook. I wish this was over. I wish this would never have happened. You see, it always seems like there's a bad time coming, right? If, we had not, if we're not in one right now, I guess we just came out of one, and we're going to be heading into the next one very soon. Last week was one of the best weeks of my life. It was one of the best weeks probably of a lot of people's lives that were there, especially the ones that gave their whole life to Christ. This is the beginning of their new life. And then all of a sudden we come back to what we would call reality because there we're not so much sheltered, but we're full, the, the whole camp is full of people who don't want to go outside of God's will. They, they're there and the Holy Spirit is contagious and they see a lot of people doing the right thing and they want to follow, right? Because that's what you do, you kind of follow the crowd sometimes. But there in that campus we're having a service in the morning talking about people's testimony, talking about how God has showed them grace, and, and throughout the day we're hanging out with each other and we're listening to songs that draw, draw us to our knees and draw tears to our eyes because we're just so in awe of God. And we go to you know, dinner and we're eating dinner together and we're just having fun with each other, playing games, and we go to service and we're singing these amazing songs and we listen to sermons about God's Word and how God's grace provides, how God's grace pursues and how God's grace enlightens us and empowers us to overcome sin. We're talking about those things. We're just like, God, God, God. And it fills our hearts full of joy. It fills our hearts full of satisfaction. And then all of a sudden we come back to what we would call reality. And we all have to separate in a sense. And we have to go back to the things that tempted us sometimes and the hard stuff. And I wanted to talk about that. I want to talk about how to deal with hard times. So this is made new in the crushing. And we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're starting in verse 2. By the way, this is, um, if you've ever heard me tell my story about, um, we had a whole series on, on depression and suicide and things, and I kind of gave my story. If you heard that, this is one of the verses I mentioned that I had to read to myself every single day. Out of the three verses I read to myself every day, this was one of them. This was number two. Starting in verse two, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way. When they come your way. Like I just talked about, it's, it seems like when you have a good day, all of a sudden the next day is, is bad. Or... When, you know, everything's going good, all of a sudden things just come to a crashing halt and everything's just awful. Or things are going not so good for you, it's just bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. And all of a sudden something huge hits, like a house fire, or we get struck with cancer, or and it just seems like all these little things add up to something so big and then we just have a final blow that... It puts us out when troubles come your way. So there's this thing, uh, I guess, that we humans have that, like, so, like, has anybody ever been on vacation to the beach, like, somewhere like the Bahamas, so, like, on a cruise or anything like that? Like, those places are incredible. 
but we, me and my wife went, uh, me and Kylie, I say my wife like y'all don't know her, Kylie, her name is Kylie, uh, if you do not know that. So we went to the Bahamas on our honeymoon, and we had to pay for it before we got there, so that when we got there, all the food was like, you know, free, but we paid for it before we got there, and it was like probably five times as expensive as if we paid for it when we were there. But we paid for it before we got there, and when we get there, we're just like, I, I love cheese, and I was like, every day I was like, I called my butler, I was like, hey, can I get a cheese assortment plate, please? And they would send me this giant, I'm talking about it's as big as my arms are right now. And, like, it's got eight different kinds of cheeses on it. It's got crackers all in the middle with grapes. And, like, I mean, it was just, I mean, I was having a ball eating all that cheese. You know, it was, it was awesome. I'm not going to lie. And the water's, like, crystal clear. Everybody's so nice. We're just like, how can we serve you this? And, you know, you're just, you can do anything you want, right? You're just like, well, I want to go over there. I want to swim in the water with a snorkel, you know, like, you don't have to pay for anything, right? You're just like, I want to do this, I want to go here, I want to go there. Your room is, like, perfectly spotless when you get back. Everything is just done for you. It's just bliss. Everything's perfect, right? And so we get there, we're just like, man, why can't life be like this all the time? You know, like, why can't we get cheese assortment plates forever? Like, why cannot everything be free? You know, like, why can't things be like this all the time? And we have this mindset where we think that life should be that way, right? That life should be peaceful, blissful, awesome all the time. And we don't tell ourselves there should be no hard times ever. We don't tell ourselves that out loud, but we really, a lot of times we think like, hey, I really wish things would just be like good and smooth all the time. Why can't things just go right for me? You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't things just go right just for one year straight, or something, just one week. Like, we just think, like, it should be this way, and we have a negative outlook on our troubles. But they're going to come. It's not if they come, it's when they come. It says, when troubles come your way, dear brothers and sisters, consider it an opportunity for great joy. ESV says it like this, dear brothers, Consider it all joy, or count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. So consider it all joy. What is joy? What is joy? This is what joy is. Actually, I want to talk about trials a little bit more. I was jumping ahead. But I feel like joy is not fully explained unless we talk about this. Trials and troubles hurt really bad, right? It hurts your heart really bad. It could be things that are not your fault, like cancer. It could be a house fire. It could be that your friend stabbed you in the back. It could be that um, your parents, you know, they do things they shouldn't be doing, and it hurts you. Maybe it's your parents are getting a divorce, or your child is going in a way that they shouldn't go. Any number of things, they hurt. But temptations, it's not limited to temptations, but it includes temptations. These trials, they can be frustrating, and they can be very discouraging. Because it seems like the more you follow after Christ, the more temptations come, right? Just 
the things that hit you in your weakest spots, those are the things that keep popping up. It's like around every corner there's a temptation right there waiting on you. And then the temptation creeps in maybe in the, even in your friend group and you feel like I either can stay in my friend group and be tempted and fall into this sin or I can leave my friend group. It's a trial. It hurts. It's trouble. It's very hard. And sin can also be considered a time of trouble, in my opinion, because for Christians, we all struggle with sin. So Paul talked about struggling with sin. He wasn't just talking about temptation, but he said he was doing things that he didn't want to do, and he was not doing the very thing that he did want to do. Sin is very, very, very powerful. And it's very heavy on us when we fall into it. It weighs heavy on our conscience. It's hard to get over because we have this heavy sense of guilt. We have to fight against those feelings of guilt, preach the gospel to ourselves. But even in all that, it says to consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why is that? Why is that? See, there's a difference between joy and happiness. When your house is burned up with fire and all the stuff you had in it, whether it be family pictures or all of your clothes or all of your memories from that house, like I had so many memories that house just burned down, or when you have cancer or just think of the worst thing, why, why consider it all joy? In those times, you're not necessarily happy, are you? When those things, when the doctor comes in and says, you have cancer, or in Kenny's case, like he talked about on Sunday, when he, when he, it's easier to hear that, the, that you have cancer. It's not so easy to hear when you, your child has cancer because you feel helpless, like I want to do something, but I can't. You're not happy in those moments. Those moments are not filled with laughter and happiness. But those moments can be filled with joy. So what's the difference? What's the difference between joy and happiness? You see, joy looks ahead. Joy is not based off of circumstance. Joy looks ahead at what's coming, and it's not looking at just here and now. And joy is not affected by a bad or good circumstance. Happiness, on the other hand, it's circumstantial. It's temporary. It happens in that moment. So you can be happy one moment because something good happens, and then you can not be happy the very next because something bad happened. Happiness is not a bad thing. It's just not joy. See, what is joy, though? What, I mean, I know joy is not circumstantial. I know joy looks ahead. I know joy does all that, and I know joy is not temporal. I know joy stays in the hard time, but what is joy exactly? Can you please explain what joy is to me? Because I don't feel like I have it. I don't feel like when these hard times come, and, and I'm in one right now, and I don't feel any joy, and why should I consider this hard time joyful? Why should I do that? Joy is trust in God. Joy is when you have a full and satisfied heart. Joy is knowing that you are not in control, 
of this situation. That's what joy is. Ultimately, I believe, if I wanted to narrow it down to something, what is joy? It's having a full and a satisfied heart. You see, when the hard time came, as if it was your house burning down or cancer came, see, your heart, if it's full of joy, can continue to be full of joy after that because your heart was not full of your house not burning down. Your heart was not full of your house. So when the house burned down and is away now, it didn't take it out of your heart. Your heart is still full of what was in there before. When the doctor comes in and says, there's cancer in you or in your child, your heart was not full of the absence of cancer. Your heart was not full of the absence of cancer. When when temptation comes your way, you can have joy because your heart was not full of the absence of temptation. You weren't relying on the absence of temptation for your relationship with God. When you fall into sin, because you will, as a follower of Christ, you are not perfect. You will fall into sin, and sometimes it can be deep, heavy sin, sin that you thought, maybe I would never do this. Do you think David expected himself to commit adultery? I don't think so. I don't think he thought, I'm going to do this at some point. I just really have to make sure it's at the right time. You see, but the joy can still be there because your heart was not full of the absence of sin. That's what it, it wasn't full of that. Your heart is full at that point of forgiveness. It's a full and satisfied heart of God. And now you can look at it and say, I have forgiveness. It wasn't full of the absence of guilt. It's full of forgiveness. In any circumstances, having that full and satisfied heart of God, it's full of God. It's not the absence of any troubles. It's not the absence of any temptation or it's not the absence of any sin. Because I know a lot of Christians, including myself, that we base our relationship with God off of how many sins we do or don't commit or how well we can go against temptation, how well we can battle it. I know a lot of Christians who base their relationship with God off of that. And then all of a sudden temptation comes on so strong You're so discouraged, and it seems to be around every single corner. You don't know how to fight it off exactly. You just know, I shouldn't do that, and you're overcome with discouragement because you thought, I was stronger than this. And when you're overcome by sin, you're like, I didn't think I would ever do that, and now your joy is lost because you were basing your relationship with God off of how well or how bad you did. See, joy is having a full and satisfied heart with God. And when the trials come your way, you can consider it pure joy because every trial has a purpose. Every trouble, every bad time, every temptation, every struggle with sin now has a purpose. And this is what it tells us. For you know that when your faith is tested... When your faith is tested, these hard times are coming into your life with the purpose of testing your faith. Testing the strength of your faith. 
You might think, well, I don't really need my faith to be tested. I, I think it's pretty solid. Like, I, I made my decision to follow Christ, and I prayed my prayer, and I got baptized. I think I'm good. I don't really need my faith to be tested any longer. When I started playing basketball in the 10th grade, we had a new coach come in. And before that point in time, I had really never uh, played much on the court. I was just uh, more like a practice dummy, you know. And um, I played because I loved the sport. I played because I wanted to play. I had a passion to play. And I worked hard every single day, although I never actually played in a game hardly. But because I loved it, I wanted to practice as hard as I could and show my coach, hey, I want to play. I have the work ethic. And, you know, every coach would always be like, you know, I don't care who your parents are. I don't care who this is. I don't care whatever, yada, yada, yada. If you work hard in practice, you will have playing time, so on and so forth. Nobody ever followed through with that besides this one person. He came to our school in the 10th grade. I had just recently gotten saved like a month before that. And the very first thing he did, we were not allowed to touch any basketballs. very first thing he did was run us to death. I'm talking about ran us till we could not think straight. Our brains were spinning. And we had never been run like that before. And it was in a gym that had no air conditioning. And we were all sweating more than we've ever sweat before. And the craziest thing about it is, is if we missed a time, he put us on the line at the very end of practice, and you were not going home until you finished every single bit of your work. And I knew that. I was like, I'm not missing a time because I'm not running anymore after all this, okay? I'm making all my times right here, right now. I'm going to do it because I don't want to run after this. And this dude's crazy because I'm about to die. And he keeps saying, go, you know? It was crazy. Now, you want to know what happened? We started off with about 20 people. We started out with a lot. We had to have like two different sets of people running so that we wouldn't run each other while we were running across the floor. And there was all kinds of people in there from, you know, I'm just trying out to, I've been on the team for years. And every single day that we went into that gym seemed to be one or two less people. And the people that were in it for the long haul, they knew this was just temporary. And they knew that there was a purpose in mind, in the coach's mind. We had to buy into what he was doing. If we did not buy into that, we were going to think about here and now, we were going to quit. And at the end of that, he said to us, actually in the middle of it, he was like, I don't care if we have three people left at the end of this. There are rules that you can play a game of basketball with three people or less, whatever. He said, I don't care. He said, we're doing this, and we're going to test whether you want to be here or not. And we gathered up in a circle Everybody in there for the wrong reasons, it's what he did. He came in the circle. He stuck out his hand and said, you're a fraud. You're a fraud. 
you're fake, you're fake, you're a man, went to every single person and called them out and said, you're fake, you're real, you're fake, you're real. And the number began to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until we had a solid group of guys. I'm talking about solid. You weren't going to break us up here. That was the whole point. See, our faith, our, our endurance was tested. Our will to be there was tested. And the people who did not have a real will to be there, they left out. They were like, no, I'm checking out. This, is, this ain't for me. I thought this was going to be a little easier. I thought that I was going to, you know, this was going to be just a happy time in my life where I just get to enjoy basketball. No, we have a real purpose here. And he tested us. And the real people stayed. And the real people endured to the end. That's what it says. It says that, for you know that these trials are here because your faith is being tested. You need to be tested. And just tell you, you need to be tested. I needed to be tested. I really wanted to be there, but at the end of it, this is what I this is what I recognized. It says, Your endurance has a chance to grow. Well, in the ESV it says that it produces steadfastness in you. You think of a tree. When a tree is real small, just a sapling, it's very vulnerable. In fact, if you run over with a lawnmower, it's gone. It's really vulnerable. It can be ripped up from its roots really easily because its roots are not deep. But you see, year after year, drought after drought, wintertime, summertime, times full of rain, year after year, that tree begins to grow and grow, and grow, and its roots begin to grow deeper, and deeper, and deeper. And its endurance has grown. It's a veteran. Now can you run that thing over the lawnmower? Nuh-uh. You can't. And the deeper the roots, the harder it is for those winds to come through and blow it over. And the bigger and stronger you get, The more water you can hold, the more that tree is going to last. Your branches go wider. You produce more fruit. You need to be tested. Think of an athlete. You see, at the end of that, he really wanted to test whether he wanted to play basketball or not because there was not a single basketball in sight. Yet he ran us to death, and at the end of that, you were not going to break us. We were going to play, and we were, going to, we were going to win at all costs. That's what we were going to do. Every day at practice, every, people were leaving bleeding every day at practice. That doesn't happen in basketball. We were there to stay. We were there so that we could go to the very end. And we had the mindset that we were not going to quit. And so our endurance had a chance to grow. And that was healthy for me. Because you know why? At the end of our season, although we did not win the state championship, we were in 10th grade and we were competing with the best basketball teams in Alabama. 
And by the end of my senior year, we lost to the state champion by one point. You see, I loved basketball then, and I loved basketball at the end. That didn't change. But I changed in the process. I became stronger, more mentally tough. I had a will to win. I knew how to lose. I knew how to lose battles, and I knew what to do when those battles were lost so that next time I could go win it. I had a goal for the long haul, not just for that game, for that moment when he was making me run. It changed me. That's what our faith does. You need to be tested so that you become stronger. Your endurance has a chance to grow. This, this race that we're in is not a sprint. It's a long haul thing. It's looking at the end, the end result. We're saying, I'm going to endure to the end. That's what this race is all about. We're going to skip to verse 12, talk about endurance. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to, to those who love him. I want to tell you something about endurance. See, hard times come, right? They come a lot. And it says that your faith is being tested, and it's supposed to make your endurance grow. It has a chance to grow. It says God rewards those who patiently endure hard times and temptations. Let's talk about endurance real quick, because, you know, in these hard times, we can take a back seat, right? We can take a back seat, and we can patiently endure. My coach used to call it, I keep thinking about basketball because it's just a really good uh, picture of it. We used to go to the weight room every morning before school started. I hated it. I don't think, uh, I don't know if you've looked at me lately, but um, not the weightlifting type. I can run all day, but you throw some weights on a bar, I, I can't push much of it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's only a little bit. You know, I hated it because he was pushing me beyond my limits. By the end of it, I was stronger. But in that time, he said something to me. He said, if you come in here, he's in my face yelling at me in front of everybody. I'm on the verge of tears because I just like, I hate this. I know that you keep talking about how if we endure, if we keep pushing through that we're going to be good. We're not just going to be good. We're going to be great. I understand that. And we're not just working to be good at basketball. We're working to be good at being a man. I understand all that, but I want to quit. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Why do we have to keep doing this? That's what I'm thinking about in my head. He's in my face yelling at me, trying to push me even further beyond my limits. He said, if you just come in here and survive, you will not get better. If you come in here and you just survive the workout, you just come in here and try to Live through it, just survive it. You will not get better. You have to come in here with the mindset of being better. You have to come in here with the mindset that when you leave here, you're going to be better than when you came in here, not just surviving. Because when you survive, you stay the same. No, you don't just stay the same, you get worse. Because I left there discouraged. I left there like, God, don't want to go back there tomorrow. But when he told me that, now I went in there, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting stronger today. 
I'm getting stronger. They're two and a half more pounds. I don't care what it is. I'm getting stronger. I'm going to do one more rep than I'm supposed to. I'm going to get stronger because you go in there with the mindset of not just surviving, but getting better. I'm going to leave there better than I did when I went in there. You need to leave this life, your walk of faith, in the race better than when you came into the race. That's the whole point. Endurance is not a passive thing. It's not a passive thing. It's your will to fight, to wage war. See, God did not give us a spirit of fear. You think about the spirit that he put inside of us. Our God, a mighty warrior, we have his spirit inside of us. He gave us the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. But power, power. We're warriors. We're supposed to wage war against that. We're supposed to say we're getting better in this time of trouble. Verse 4. So let it grow. So let it grow. Let your endurance grow. Let your endurance grow. Fight. For when your endurance is fully developed, here's the end result. Listen. When your endurance is fully developed at the end of your senior season, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God, when you enter to this walk of faith, we have a lot of new believers in here. Listen to me. Before you became a Christian, the image of God in you was blurred. It's very distorted. You couldn't tell God was in there. His character, his love, the image that God made us in. He made us in his image. You can't see it because of sin. It's all blurry. It's all distorted. It's all broken. The glass is broken. But when you become a follower, all of a sudden that image begins to become more clear. Picture it like this. You're this big block of rock, and God is a sculptor, and he's got a chisel and a hammer in his hand. He's going to chip away. See, that block don't look like nothing right now. This is like a big block of rock. That's all it looks like. That's what it is. But when the sculptor gets a hold of it, and he begins to restore your image, He's chipping away. He's chipping away all the things that don't need to be there. That hurts. That's what's happening to you. You may not know exactly what's going on in your heart right now because your Holy Spirit is changing you so rapidly, but he's molding you. He's shaping you into what he's called you to be. It says you'll be Perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
by the end of it, by the end of this race, when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, they call that the process of sanctification. Becoming more and more like Christ. The things that are in you that are not like Christ, they're going to be rising to the surface. And you're going to recognize them. And the Holy Spirit, like we learned at camp, grace will empower you to overcome that sin. You see, you don't get rid of every bad thing at one time. It's too heavy. And plus, you don't learn anything. We, we don't learn at that rate. We learn slowly, and we have to be reminded constantly. And at the end of this race, when your endurance is made complete, you will be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. God will have done his full work in you. He who started a work in you will finish it to completion. That is why you can consider all your troubles pure joy. That is the reason why I read that verse during the hardest year of my life. Because I knew that this trial is temporary. I wasn't begging God, hey, get me out of this right now. At one point I was, but then I learned that this is happening for a reason. I'm not like, hey, God, will you deliver me from this right now? Like, I can't go through this anymore. I'm not, not going to do it. No, God has a purpose. You ask him to reveal your purpose, not for him to get you out of it. Even God had a purpose even for Job. God had a purpose for when Abraham had to be put through this trial of killing his own son. Imagine that trial. God provided. You'll be complete, lacking in nothing. You see, at the end of that year, I looked back, and I had so many lessons piled up, so many blessings piled up, so many things that made my faith go boom, just like I can get through anything now. It doesn't matter what comes my way. Because I just experienced the hardest thing that could ever happen to me in my entire life. I know that no matter what happens now, that God can get me through it. I don't care if this or that, X, Y, Z, I don't care what hits me. I know God provides, and I know that God has a reason for everything. And so I fought for joy. I fought for joy. I asked God, God, restore the joy of my salvation. I prayed every day. I was like, God, please, just show me the reason. Show me the reason. Show me the reason. You may be needing to do the same thing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Your trial has a purpose, even if it's a very short period of time. Even if it's just today, your trial has a purpose. It's testing your faith, whether your faith is good or bad, whether you actually have faith in Christ or you don't. Because if you do have true faith in Christ, at the end of this, your eyes will still be fixed on him, just like they were in the beginning. If it's not, you'll have checked out. Fight for joy. Fight for joy. 
You can consider it pure joy because you know the end result. That's why you can consider it joy. You know the end result. So fight for joy. 